your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive achievements inspire positive thought and action. Exceptional people rising to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Knoll. Check out his music and learn more about him at chrisknoll.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E.com. You can also listen to his music on Spotify and Pandora. And you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Visit my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. You can also subscribe and follow my show from your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc. Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI? Now, the human spine has three major functions. Protect the spinal cord provide structural support, and to enable flexible motion. When Cody Unser was 12 years old, her spine could no longer protect her spinal cord from transverse myelitis. Cody became paralyzed. Cody, along with her loving mom, Shelly, guided Cody away from what she calls hot tears into forever hope. That's so beautiful. That hope filled Cody with strength and determination. Cody and her mother worked together and founded the Cody Unser First Step Foundation to raise awareness, encourage medical collaboration, and improve the quality of life for those afflicted with transverse myelitis. With her renewed involvement in life, Cody later established through her foundation Cody's Great Scuba Adventure, which is amazing. Scuba diving is used as a therapeutic and psychological tool for people living with disabilities. And Cody will talk more about this in just a moment. Cody's positive imprints are to inspire and bring hope to people living with disabilities. Paralysis may be the state of her body, but it is certainly not the state of her mind and soul. Cody Unser, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Catherine. This is a huge honor, and I'm so glad to finally meet you, and you're doing awesome work as well, um, really encouraging people to really kind of find their positivity and kind of what they can do to imprint and impact others. So thank you for having me on the show. This is part two with Cody Unser, Paralysis, Transverse Myelitis. For me, an internal journey of just, you know, trying to wrestle with the fact that I'm paralyzed now. I've got to, you know, not only paralyzed, but now I have to deal with bladder and bowel dysfunction and spasms and nerve pain. And um, these are sort of secondary conditions that a lot of people don't think about when, you know, they see somebody in a wheelchair or so learning how to cath myself, you know, because I can't contract my bladder. So just learning all those kind of things, you know, it's a lot, it's overwhelming. And so that's, you know, really why uh, I really wanted to start something. This had to have happened to me for a reason. And my mom and I just took on the challenge of starting a nonprofit. And uh, really awareness was the big issue. And then advocacy was another sort of pillar or mission part of the foundation. Uh, We kind of threw ourselves into the world of paralysis. Like what's out there for people with disabilities to do? 
I want to live my life as fully as possible. But, you know, we live in such a what I call concrete worlds. We live in a world where accessibility isn't always uh, friendly. So we're always bombarded with boundaries and, you know, and oh, how sure. do we live our life to the fullest when the world is kind of shutting doors and saying no. And, you know, you don't have to wait for something bad to happen to you to make a difference. When I learned how to scuba dive, it, I mean, literally that took all the depression away, the sadness, um, because I was doing something final, like I was doing an activity that had nothing to do with me being paralyzed. Because in rehab, everything was about the chair, everything, you know, centered around, you know, the wheelchair. And so being, uh, learning how to scuba dive took all that away. And I was doing something with my family and friends uh, when I got certified. And it's a challenging sport. It's, you know, it's also a dangerous one. You know, so there's so much to learn. Putting the wetsuit on and off is always, you know, hard for anybody. But for people with disabilities, it's even harder. So that's what I loved about it was that it was a challenge that had nothing to do with, you know, paralysis or, or me being in the wheelchair. It's just a challenging sport itself. So when I got certified uh, in Cozumel, it was our last dive and on our way, when we were on the boat, I was with my mom, my older brother, our scuba instructor, and it was kind of like an aha moment. I, you know, we were on our way back to the dock and I was like, mom, this is the best thing ever. I feel like I can do anything now. Nothing's impossible, like Christopher Reeve said. Cody, so, that's great. Yeah, so I felt like, all right, I can go to school. I can go to college. I can, you know, learn how to drive. Suddenly, like, the world didn't seem so, you know, f full of limits. And so I was like, Mom, we got to start a quality life program with scuba diving. Your identity was already coming through mm -hmm. as to whom you truly, truly are. You just had to get yourself out. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I felt... Um, I don't know if you've ever been scuba diving, but for, for those of you listening who have either tried it or haven't, um, the moment that you go underwater, uh, it's just so peaceful. You don't hear anything besides your breathing. And so just learning, you know, how to breathe correctly and, you know, sort of get your buoyancy right. I mean, you feel like you're soaring and flying in the ocean. And it's just, I mean, the, the coral, the fish, I mean, it's a whole other world down there. And so it's, it, it definitely inspired me. I was like, this needs to, everybody with a disability needs to try this. This is just so cool. So that's why we started Cody's Great Scuba Adventures was to really bring this sport to people with disabilities. And so that, you know, we sort of took that on. We had to teach, I guess, the industry of scuba diving. I wasn't the first one to bring adaptive scuba uh, forward. Um, there was, there's other pioneers that have done it, but I really wanted, you know, to make this a big quality of life program. And so we had to sort of, uh, train instructors how to teach people with disabilities. And so, but basically we kind of go around the country. Now we do intros or demonstrations. So, uh, we recently started a program at the Kennedy Krieger Institute in Baltimore. It's a rehab center, which is amazing. And basically we go there every year and we get about, we sign, uh, people with spinal cord injuries up. And we take my dive team from Albuquerque and we all go to, the, you know, a community center pool. And for two days, we let people with spinal cord injuries kind of try scuba. And if they like it, then we kind of sign them up for them to be certified. So right now we're in, you know, cru crucial fundraising mode for spring. Um, we've got four 
people with spinal cord injuries that are um, that we're going to certify uh, next spring in Key West, Florida. So if you are willing to donate to help <laughs> us get there, um, you can definitely check out my Facebook page and or Instagram and keep an eye on the fundraising campaign. But I mean, these these uh, men and women are incredible. They have awesome stories. And I just want to show them that nothing's impossible. And um, so we're going to hopefully take them to the ocean. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Facebook is um, the Cody Unser First Step Foundation, and that's C-O-D-Y-U-N-S-E-R. If you just search that on Facebook, then, you're, then you can find um, the foundation page very easily. Now, you were talking about all of these places, Florida, Baltimore, where you're going to be doing some training. Do you get to participate? I do. Uh, I, I think that's like the fun part is traveling, you know, is kind of, and, and especially for those with spinal cord injuries, like some of them haven't even been on a plane before or stayed at a hotel. So it's not only, you know, the mission is to get them certified in scuba diving, but there's other life lessons that kind of happen by default of just traveling, you know, transferring onto an aisle chair on the plane. And then, you know, once we arrive, everybody getting on rental vans. I mean, it's, it's the whole journey that really is, you know, um, it affects people, it impacts them and lets them know, know what's possible and what they can do. So I'm really excited about that uh, aspect of it. And, and also too, like after we're done diving, you know, everybody goes back to the hotel, and we hang out in the lobby and we also talk about like, oh, what's your bladder program or what medication are you on to help with your nerve pain or kind of create more of a dialogue and conversation, you know, how to make my life better kind of thing. So that also happens by default. And it's it's awesome to hear those conversations for sure. Oh, absolutely. And you're not the only one in the world right. going yeah. through this. And I think that's important for people to know and to realize because so often we will find ourselves, whether it be paralysis or whether it be losing a job or losing a, a spouse, a dog, or breaking up with somebody, mm-hmm. we often feel that we're the only ones feeling this and nobody understands. But then when there's places where you can go where you're meeting people that have the same maybe thoughts, feelings, even if it's whether it's physiological or psychological, right. it it does open doors. It, it allows for conversation and a new identity, maybe not a new identity. Like in your case, it allowed your identity mm-hmm. to come forward. Right. And I think that's important. With this pandemic, it's changed, you know, sure. all of our lives, especially, you know, those of us with nonprofit organizations is kind of um, you know, we, we know that this kind of takes premise, you know, in, in trying to, um, you know, push humanity forward and, you know, save lives. And so right now I'm really trying to focus on that spring trip is to take those four spinal cord injury patients certified uh, in scuba diving. So right now I'm kind of just been, you know, um, reading and writing and, you know, doing my thing in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And Another thing that I've been taking on uh, four years ago is I've now started going around the country giving Grand Rounds presentations to OBGYN residents on the... I would love for this type of program to go across the borders to the different you know, the different continents around the world. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, um, I basically kind of become um, sort of an advocate in sort of education, especially when it comes to 
the sexual and reproductive health care of women with disabilities. Because I, I mean, I've been lucky enough to be able to live in different parts of the country, and I've never had a good OBGYN experience. And the reason for that is there are two major problems that are kind of occurring. One is sort of the physical accessibility issues. So some of the clinics, you know, the doors are really heavy to open. The administrative desk in the front, you know, I mean, it's not low enough. So I'm either shouting, you know, personal insurance information. Sometimes the bathrooms aren't accessible. The main problem is the exam table in the rooms are way too high and narrow. So I end up having to take either my mom before she passed away into my OBGYN appointment or a friend. And I want to be like every other woman. This is a personal, you know, you go to your OBGYN, it's a personal appointment. And so I just, I found these sort of problems and and also sort of the attitudinal educational barriers from the OBGYN doctors themselves. So there's, you know, kind of perceptions that I'm not sexually active because I'm paralyzed. So it's too difficult for me to have sex and that's completely not (laughs) accurate. So it's also that kind of notion that gets into sort of people's heads, but you know, your doctor shouldn't have any assumptions like that. You know, what if I want to start a family or how can I, you know, what's the right birth control? Like having these conversations, you know, I found that a lot of the doctors were completely uncomfortable or they didn't know what answer to give. So they gave a false, you know, answer if I had a question. So uh, when I was going to grad school um, at George Washington University for my master's in public health, I took a, a reproductive health policy course. And our assignment, I loved the class. Our assignment was we had to pick a topic and research it and write, you know, a recommendation policy paper for it. So I was like, you know what, this is a big issue that I personally experience. I wonder if other women with disabilities are experiencing the same things. So I started doing my research and I found like astonishing statistics. There are 27 million women in the U.S. with disabilities. And because of the physical and attitudinal barriers that we face, we are less likely to go seek preventative care. We are more likely to, you know, have HIV or, you know, STD. And so if we can't get into a building, you know, a medical office at an OBGYN, we feel sort of rejected or not uh, considered. And so we just won't go. And then we end up, you know, in the emergency room with either, you know, cervical cancer. So I found this issue to be a really big problem. So I, I actually reached out to a couple people at um, ACOG, which is the American Congress of Obstetrics and Gynecology. As a student, I just had questions about research and, and nobody was getting back to me. So this is when I decided to take my uh, patient writer role, advocate role for US, US News and World Report into action. So I wrote a paper wrote an article called Wheelchair Barbie Goes to the Gynecologist. Why did you choose Barbie (laughs) in your title? There must be a reason, I'm sure. Right. So um, the interesting thing is, uh, so Wheelchair Barbie has sort of a similar story to a lot of us women with disabilities in the sense that, um, so we all know the iconic Barbie that Mattel came out with in, in the 1960s. And then since then, you know, the company really wanted to represent other cultures and backgrounds and races. So in 1997, they came out with Wheelchair Barbie. And they didn't realize <laughs> that like her, her hair kept getting caught in her wheelchair was too long. 
um, and she couldn't actually fit in Barbie in Barbie's uh, dream house into the front door. So Mattel received a bunch of complaints from parents, you know, because their kid has a disability and wants to play with wheelchair Barbie and they can't. So Mattel went back to the drawing board and, you know, they fixed the front door of, of Barbie dream house. And then they also made, you know, the wheelchair even narrow itself. And then they relaunched her. Uh, but then another issue actually arose where there's a tube elevator inside the uh, dream house and now she can't fit in that in there. So the company decided, you know, this is too much work and effort. Let's just discontinue wheelchair Barbie. And so a lot of, I mean, a lot of women with disabilities feel this way, kind of an afterthought. It's not worth it. Um, So I I title it that way. I mean, the article and then also my presentation I've been giving is because this is a similar story, you know, and it really if if it's not worth it, then, you know, we won't um, we'll be, you know, sort of discontinued or not. We, we don't feel like we're cared for or understood. So it's, um, and it's a catchy title too. And, and the funny thing is, is that now it's become a very proud kind of name for a lot of women with disabilities. I mean, on Instagram and social media, a lot of women have titled themselves, I'm a wheelchair Barbie. So it's become kind of more of a, and also a self-empowering kind of tool. But, uh, so there, there is a purpose and reason why I title it that way. That, you know, that is so interesting because that's something that most people would have absolutely no idea mm-hmm. about because it's not so much that just that we don't live in a world of the type of disability because we all have somebody in our families. It's that right. we just we just didn't even I just have never thought twice about it. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I did think twice about cultural Barbie mm-hmm. You know, making sure that there was culture. Right. Thank you for enlightening yeah. on no, that. It's, yeah, it's and I mean, for a while there, after they discontinued her, you know, you couldn't buy her anywhere. You could only find her maybe on eBay or Craigslist. Um, so, and then recently, just recently, they relaunched her again. So it's it's a it's interesting, you know, in society, like how something like that is a parallel story, sure, um, sure. to the reality of of people. So absolutely, yeah. I am so glad that you brought that up. Yeah, Thank you. for sure. So, did you ever have any repercussions by using the word Barbie in your title? Um, so and funny in your enough, presentation. So funny enough, I've I mean I and I've spoken to different you know conservative um, universities. But I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm careful on, on the language I use in my presentation, you know, but I'm also not wanting to shy away from, you know, sort of the sexual needs of women with disabilities. It is a little bit more challenging, you know, just uh, getting situated and being intimate with somebody. Um, but I'm not, I don't like to censor because these are real issues, you know, and, and women with disabilities want to talk to their providers about it. So if I you know, shy, if I'm shy about it during my presentation, I'm doing a disservice to the OBGYN residents who are going to get a patient, you know, and it's hard for us to talk about something so personal and intimate, but it needs to happen. I really just wanted the world to realize that this is a big problem. We have the, the resources to fix it and to solve it. And so once I, once that article got put out, then I got the calls back from ACOG. Then they're like, oh, okay, we probably should pay attention to Cody or else she's going <laughs> to um, use her voice. Again, one voice has power. And so I, I was able to, you know, finish my um, student paper and I wanted to do something a step further. 
So I basically reached out to all of the residency coordinators across the, the country at different universities. Since 2016, I've been going to different universities and I created a PowerPoint presentation called Wheelchair Barbie Goes to the Gynecologist and just uh, really been sort of, it's really about educating the future physicians, you know, the residents, uh, because no matter what, they're going to have a patient with a disability at some point, you know, and there's 60 million Americans with a disability and that number is not going to go down. It's just going to go up. So it's a population we definitely want to care for. So I've been having a blast just traveling and kind of, you know, again, educating and bringing, you know, these issues to light because it's, it is a big problem and it affects women. Like we want to take care of ourselves. We want to have the dignity to do it. And so we, we should fix these problems. <laughs> so, and so what has happened since then? Have you seen a change in legislation? Have you seen movement? The interesting thing is, so every time I, uh, sort of the, the past universities that I've presented to, even that same day, they will ask me to tour their facility and see if there's any like uh, changes that I think that they should make. And I've followed back up with some of them and they've, they've, you know, now included an accessible exam table that I can now transfer to or somebody with a disability in their area. And so I've been keeping an eye out for different universities that I've spoken to that I've said, oh, we'll make these changes, you know, but I'm, I'm my, my next sort of mission with this whole thing is, is to really get a disability course in medical schools. Because, I, I mean, I know that there's a lot of information, you know, if you are a medical student, there's a lot of information you have to learn. But there's, you know, so many issues around disability. And no matter if they become a, you know, neurosurgeon or a dentist even, um, it's good to just have the basic knowledge of what people with disabilities kind of go through. We're not just sitting down, right? The secondary conditions I sort of talked about with bladder and bowel management. Um, I have osteoporosis at 33 years old because I'm not standing and bearing weight. And so there's a bunch of issues that we sort of have to sort of pay attention to and just realize. Primary care doctors as well. Like I, you know, if I want to go see my primary care because I'm sick or, you know, just as a, a checkup, you know, I want them to know you know, what is transverse myelitis, what medications I'm on, and it's, it's those kind of issues. So I'm trying to get a course involved um, and put together because it's, and like I said, anybody can become paralyzed at any time or become disabled. So it's, it can happen to anybody. So, uh, you know, definitely um, if you can, you know, use your voice and, um, you know, don't, don't be passive, be active. And that, that's good advice. That's very good advice. Worldwide, that's good mm -hmm. advice. So now you said that you go into some of these offices mm -hmm. or hospitals. So you can't do that throughout the entire country. So do you have right. a team of, of disabled women who are able to help you out and go in to these offices that's, so I mean, that it that that's a great idea the only times that I've gone into you know a clinic is when I when they've invited me after I presented so I've also thought about creating kind of a rating system um, and have it be recognized like uh, you know of course it takes money for me or any you know if I create a team to sort of travel around to all the different OBGYN offices but it would be nice to know, you know, are you a, um, fully accessible? You know, are you a hospital or a clinic that, you know, accepts people with disabilities? Um, so I've thought about creating sort of a rating system as well, but getting a team involved of other women with disabilities, creating maybe a survey, you know, kind of analyzing, you know, what's involved at a clinic would be awesome. So 
I might take that idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so now let's move into the scuba diving. Mm-hmm. Your, your voice is powerful. You are now the first woman to be put in the, the Hall of Fame of scuba divers. Mm-hmm. Talk about that in the experience because yeah. that that's just such a, a wonderful recognition. Yeah, it was, I mean, so the Women Divers Hall of Fame, it's a great organization. I mean, these women, they do incredible things around the ocean and diving. So think about mapping the ocean floor or uh, learning about con- uh, conservation efforts. Um, a lot of these women are just extreme. You know, I found I found them completely inspiring. Um, but to be the first paralyzed woman into this, you know, Hall of Fame, it it, it brings a whole other level of kind of meaningfulness to it. Sure, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and so to again to bring adaptive scuba into the mainstream world, right. you know, kind of. Uh, we're here. We want to dive. Um, let's make it happen. The cool thing about sort of my dive team is that we adapt around the person with a disability. You know, we work with equipment, whatever they need to make it happen. So um, if we're working with an amputee, for example, you know, does he want to have or she have a, kind of a, a prosthetic flipper, you know, put on or not, you know, so we work around the person's needs and wants and make them feel comfortable. So it's really about adapting the sport to the person and and kind of it's a, a also a metaphor of life like adapting I mean right now with COVID we all have to adapt to certain things so I've kind of had to do that since I became paralyzed it's sort of adapt you know your not only your body around what you want to do but also your mind and not let you know I get down too you know I get depressed like sometimes it does get exhausting and frustrating you know if I fall in the bathroom if I spasm too hard and I fall out of my chair you know those kind of moments kind of remind me oh yeah you are paralyzed Cody but don't let those moments sort of overpower you you know I I'm also a a certified Christopher and Dana Reeve peer mentor so I get sort of matched up with you know people who are newly injured or who have transverse myelitis and I either talk to them by phone or email or text and kind of you know let them know that this is your experience you know I um, when I became paralyzed you know a lot of the therapists wanted to really push positivity on me which I totally understand but let me just be sad right now. You know, let me have this moment of reality. And so I, I that's one of the things I often tell people who I who I talk to um, who are new, newly injured. You know, be patient with yourself. Don't feel, I mean, your friends and family are going to push you as much as possible to be, you know, positive and stuff. But, you know, this is your journey. No one else's. And so, you know, if you want to feel sad or depressed, like let yourself have those moments. But do not, you know lay down there (laughs) Um, because life you know has so much to offer and you know in the moment of being when I first became paralyzed I didn't think anything was possible I mean this is it I'm done like why keep living but as I found more things to do especially I mean scuba diving that's why I love it so much is it let me know that you know nothing's impossible there's so much to life just because I have a paralyzed body doesn't mean my spirit has to be you know just push forward and Having and of course having a great family and and um, you know great friends really does help. When I have bowel accidents, like in the movie theater, or you know my sister and I laugh about it and have to you know find the nearest bathroom to clean up. I mean it's a mess and it's gross, but you kind of use those moments and be you know laugh at them because it's they're unique. You know not any you know uh, not all of us are paralyzed. So when you 
when you become paralyzed, I kind of say, this is your unique experience in life. You know, use this as, um, this is who I am, you know, be proud of it. Um, but it's also your own journey. Like no one can force you to get there. And so it's, uh, just, you know, again, be patient with yourself and, um, because it's tough, it's challenging. So, well, your patience and fortitude obviously paid off and you gained wisdom from somewhere, Mm -hmm. whether it be, it was derived through your childhood or through your, like you say, through your own journey and the experience of the transverse myelitis and the paralysis. And you've become a remarkable, remarkable person who is striving every single day for global humanity. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're doing it for the world. You see that there's a need for others in our society, whether it be your community. And this is really global because Mm -hmm. people have disabilities worldwide. Mm -hmm. And there are countries that are not as far along as other countries in legislation. But when people hear you around the world, that inspires to move forward. And I want to just mention a book. I've I've talked about it on my podcast before. But Melinda Gates wrote an amazing book called The Moment of Lift. Oh, I love the title. Oh, it's a great title. And what she does is she brings inspiration. And it's at that moment in your life, if you know something is not right, you Mm -hmm. must take that moment of lift Yes. And become active and not passive. And she, of course, did a lot of her work in Africa. And there are a lot Mm -hmm. of women, and the book is mostly about women, who have been pushed down because of cultural bound, Mm -hmm. you know, because of their cultural boundaries. And it's time to say, no, Mm -hmm. this is not life anymore. We must change it. Right. And the moment of lift, and you have had your moment of lift so many different times and you have taken it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah. and that's so inspiring and positive. Yeah, I mean, also too, I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't been able to do this without my mom. And I hope I don't cry. And I'm so sorry you lost her. Yeah, so, I mean, she... COPD, right? Yeah, she passed away um, two years ago. She was a smoker all her life, you know, and around racing too. I mean, the sport itself kind of, you know, people smoke and especially during the 80s and 90s, it was kind of a thing, you know, but um, losing her was really hard because she, we became so close. And I think that's, you know, my paralysis had a lot to do with it because we just sort of became a mother-daughter team, you know, not only just the building the Cody Unsafer Set Foundation, but also we traveled the world and learned different things around paralysis, and she really um, inspired me and motivated me to do something to, you know, not get down, not, you know, have uh, too many, you know, down days and stuff, but she was the strongest woman I've ever known, and um, so I wouldn't have been able to do any of this without her, and and we also had a blast too. I mean, I remember my first date uh, when I was 16. I was so nervous, um, <laughs> and because a lot of you know, a lot of my friends, you know, they're not paralyzed or in a wheelchair, but they can shake their butt on the dance floor. And I was trying, you know, how do I, how do I be sexy too? And so I remember my first date with my boyfriend. Um, I was actually we were meeting a group of friends um, at the River of Lights, which is in Albuquerque at the Botanical Gardens, and so. Um, uh, Freddie and I were driving, I was driving and he was next to me and I started having a bowel accident. 
Um, oh, on your date? Uh, yes, oh, in, in the car, um, <laughs> on the way there. And I mean, you could smell it, he could smell it. And I had to like roll down the windows. I was like panicking, what am I gonna do now? Um, and so I... I and this is Freddie's moment of lift I know, right, right here. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, he's young too. We're both teenagers, you know, kind of in love. But again, like my body, this is a moment of reality. Like I have, you know, bowel problems. And so um, I was like just panicking. What do I do? What do I do? So I got to the botanical gardens and I kind of made up some excuse um, why I needed to go back home. So I left Freddie with my friends. And when I got back home, I mean, I was crying on the way home. I called my mom immediately and I was like, I had a bowel accident, I'm coming back. I'm so embarrassed, he's not gonna like me anymore. And so my mom, you know, helped me into the bathtub and I was like, no one's gonna love me, just crying. Oh, and she, Cody. I mean, it was kind of a, you know, as a mom, you know, you're watching, you know, for her it was, you know, snap out of it. like. But it was those kind of moments that we shared and had together that were so special. And I started spraying perfume all crazy and she was like, all right, that's enough. Like, <laughs> no more, you know, and I was like, yeah, I could still smell it. And then, you know, finding that I had some um, some bowel on my chair, you know, so just those kind of things. It was, you know, that I shared with my mom that really helped. Um, but, you know, we became accidental philanthropists. You know, this happened to me and we kind of ran with it. And I'm just trying to make the biggest impact I can and continue well, today. Well, you are doing so. that. So did you go back to the botanical garden? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it took a while for me to get cleaned up. And plus, my I was crying. I was upset. Um, and so my friends, my friends kind of knew what, what happened. You know, I texted one of them. And so they actually came back to the house. Like everybody came back to the house. And Freddie kind of, you know, he gave me a hug and whispered in my ear, uh, I love you anyway, or something oh, like that. He, so he knew. I mean, there was no way he didn't because, I mean, the smell was so bad in the car. <laughs> so, um, but it's those moments that, you know, um, even when I get so upset or if it's embarrassing, it also... I mean, it's it's sort of the reality of having a paralyzed body and why quality of life programs are so important. And, you know, because it's I mean, it happens to the best of us and kind of how do we move past it? And but it's also a room, you know, it gives opportunity to have intimate relationships, you know, is is having bowel and bladder problems and just everything, all the secondary conditions that we deal right. with. So but yeah, it was one of those moments that will always be, you know, my mom was there. So it, yes. was, it was good. Uh, well, thank you for sharing that because <laughs> that does bring in the reality of mm -hmm. the physiological. Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And it also, I think that that can bring us into a conversation of how do we change the conversation within society? Mm -hmm. Because we need to know that these things do happen at a baseball right. game yeah, or a football game. Sure. Once we get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Once we get back to living yeah. life and going places. Right. Yeah. Or yeah. or just, you know, what you were talking about before when you go into a doctor's office. I mean, a doctor's office, that would be a thing that I would think would, would have the sinks low. True. And handicapped yeah. bathrooms mm -hmm. and especially a, gyne uh, a disability gynecological chair. Right. So what can you offer the listeners right now as to how you can change the conversation one of I guess the biggest thing is don't be demanding be commanding you do deserve the things that you need and want so don't be shy for asking to be proud of you know your identity and actually say you know these are the things I'm going to need when I get there 
you know, don't be, don't shy away from asking questions. But again, like you do deserve better than what's, you know, the status quo. So. So basically it's having the people with disabilities that need to step up. Yes. Empowerment. I mean, self-empowering. To change that conversation. Yeah. Because I mean, no one's going to do it for you. You know, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I love the fact that we have had this monumental legislation, the ADA, happen. Um, and thank God of all the other, you know, um, activists, you know, d- during the disability rights movement. Because right. we would not be able to, you know, just roll around the street. I mean, curb cuts, all that kind of stuff. But the ADA co- needs a complete renovation um, because it's uh, it's not... I mean, again, it's the sort of the status quo. And, and the more people speak out and speak up about... Um, certain things that we need and want, I think more change will happen, but it's up to us. Like we can't, you know, just stand by or sit by and let things kind of crumble or just be how they are. You know, we, we do deserve better. And that is good advice. And ADA for listeners out there is the American Disabilities Act. The school you were at, Mm -hmm. you had to leave because they didn't have accessibility for wheelchairs yeah so the the University of Redlands um, great college Um, I went there for four years uh, but they they did have to move my courses and classes to different buildings which then would cause the entire class now to look at me and say oh it's her fault we had to move classes but again like you know but you stood your ground I did yeah I did I I remember making a sign because I also couldn't get into the library at one point I made a sign that said got access you know, kind of, um, you know, this is a big issue. And so I I did want to, you know, kind of uh, create more of a disability course, like I said, Um, but until the campus is accessible, you know, it's hard to make that happen. But, you know, again, you know, fight for the things that you need and want because no one will. And, you know, well, it's good that you did have a voice and that you did step in, Mm -hmm. even though, you know, you were a student one right among everybody in your class, you still have that voice and you still have a right to accessibility. Right, very true. And so have you been to other countries where you didn't find the accessibility as great? Um, So I, I went to England in high school it was a school trip and of course you know there's cobblestone street so i had to take my off-road tires which made it a little easier but still you know i had issues uh but i again that's why i love traveling i mean even the places that we go scuba diving you know cozumel mexico the cayman islands um it's cool that you know especially when we take a big group of people with disabilities scuba diving you know all of us are in chairs you know we're rolling through the airports we're rolling on the streets to the restaurants and the shops and you know on the dock um and so we get people um just being out really kind of helps other people and cultures kind of realize you know you know that we're out here and we're we're going to roll around and do what we want to do so i don't shy away from you know countries that aren't accessible because that's i mean the only way that they're going to improve is if they have people that actually go there with disabilities and you know um try to make a change happen so that's great so let's move now to this movie no okay because and you're smiling and that's good (laughs) um i'm assuming you're talking about sea of change yes it looked so interesting when i looked it up yeah the veterans and so that kind of ties everything together with with the the documentary information Mm -hmm. and it, it it's already been released it's actually in 2011 but it was a monumental kind of uh trip um, because I I started feeling sensations at depth when I was scuba diving. 
What, and what type of sensations? Um, kind of like, you know, definitely zingers in my legs more. And then I felt my bladder more like uh, on the surface after I went diving for a while. And so we, uh, I told my doctors about this. Like I was like, there's something to scuba diving because it would last for a couple days and then go back to normal. But I felt my You're body normal. more. You're normal. Right, my, my normal. Right. Um, and so I was like, there's something to this. We need to, we need to study it. And so I talked to my neuropsychiatrist and then my, um, my neurologist. And so we were like, you know, let's do a study on the, on the sort of not only the psychological, but also neurological effects of scuba on the paralyzed body. So we partnered with the Paralyzed Veterans of America, the PVA, and we took 10 uh, paralyzed um, sort of veterans uh, to the Cayman Islands. And we did this crazy study. Um, and, uh, the doctors were shocked and we filmed the entire thing. That's, that's the documentary sea of change is kind of, you know, there's something to scuba diving. That's just not, that's more than, you know, what quality of life is all about. And, um, there's actually something scientifically, you know, going on. So we, we did the trip and the, and filmed it. And so the doctors, I mean, they were like, okay, after the trip was over, they said, oh, that's fun, but we'll see what the data actually shows. And it was like an 80 to 100% reduction in PTSD symptoms, which was huge. And, and it makes sense because scuba diving is all about your breathing. Sure. You know, so, and then, uh, you know, even some of the vets felt more sensation, you know, neurological wise. Oh, interesting. So um, it's a great film. You know, it was, it was so cool to shoot. And, you know, a lot of the, the vets were fun to, you know, play around with. Sure. And, um, <laughs> but they were kind of like lab rats. I mean, it was... It was basically, and, and it's funny because my doctors were like, I said, the only way you're going to do this is if you guys get certified. I said, you guys, you know, have to be, um, you have to scuba dive with all of us. And they were like, well, Cody, when we test a drug, we don't take the drug ourselves. Oh. And I was like, no, 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 this is different. You have to actually get the whole experience, you know. Um, so we got them certified and they went diving with, I mean, it was so cool. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, again, it all takes money you know, and fundraising is, you know, a big deal. So, uh, but it's, it's created a conversation around, you know, what is therapy? What is physical therapy? What is, you know, and is scuba diving, you know, what, what else can we do with it? You know, so it's created a, a cool conversations and other groups and organizations have taken different aspects of the study and have done something different. So it's inspired other, you know, theories and stuff like that. I was so. going to ask if it's so, do you know if the studies are still taking place? It hasn't halted, right? People no, right. Yeah. So, so we did the first sort of initial study and then other groups have, have done, you know, little, little studies with it. But, you know, again, we would love to do, you know, another study because um, you have to back up what you, you know, sure. uh, and, found. And you, right. So. so you have your study and then you can collect mm -hmm. other studies, put them together and then, you know, do another study. Yeah. Is that anything that you see in the foreseeable future? Um, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, um, again, it's hard with COVID and fundraising, too. You know, it's it takes money to, to make things happen. <laughs> um so, but that's definitely, you know, on my list uh, to do for sure. What you're doing and, and including, because I think it's so imperative that you're including data, statistics, mm -hmm. science, mm -hmm. when you have to go forth with legislative lobbying. Mm -hmm. And have you done that? I was, I mean, lucky enough, again, to partner with the Christopher and Dana Reed Foundation on 
um, a bunch of different, you know, efforts, but quality of life. I mean, it's kind of, how do you quantify it? How do you, you know, prove that a certain program works and actually does impact, you know, somebody to actually go get a job or go to school? Um, and so that's, I mean, bringing it back down to data and numbers, you know, because that's exactly what, you yeah, need, they talk. What, I mean, numbers right. do talk and, um, that's how you get politicians to actually notice something that it works. Um, and I'd like to think so anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's been, I mean, that's kind of the nerd in me too is, um, uh, I was able to create my own undergrad degree called biopolitics and it kind of is about biology and science and how to, you know, make data talk and, you know, encourage politicians to go one way or, and not just politicians, but, you know, just corporations, like how do we get fundraising? You know, how do we encourage a company to help us, you know? Um, and show them the data and it, you know, kind of speaks for itself. So everything you've done is so incredible. And thanks, Catherine. Shannon, your sister is standing right by you. Maybe Shannon wanted to, would like to say a couple words of growing up with somebody with a disability. Come here. (laughs) Putting her on the spot. Putting her on the spot. I mean, it, it does encourage like other siblings, you know, because when this happened, like it's, we so like create dances together. I mean, we were yeah, so we close. Were Mary- yeah, we wanted her? we wanted to be Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen. We joined the Olsen fan club. Mm-hmm. We did all the detective things, watched all their movies, and we would we wanted to be them. And then we would make dances together. We did cheerleading together, gymnastics, yeah. ice skating. <laughs> you yeah. name it. We were the two peas in the pot. So when she became paralyzed, it was kind of a grieving process for me to re-love and re-kind of learn who my sister is Mm -hmm. because she's no longer that sister who could do all those things with me and so I had to kind of like you know grieve that part of her and then learn the new her that Mm -hmm. I love and she's so inspiring and since my our mom passed you know Uh um Shannon's kind of taken my mom's role and kind of helping me you know not only travel uh, but also just talking to you know OBGYN you know, uh, residents, for example, or just, I mean, Shannon's gotten the language down and, you know, so, uh, but it's been, I mean, I'm so thankful that I have a sister to help me do that for sure. So, and we have blast doing it. So we get into trouble too much. But. Oh, well, <laughs> good it's trouble. good trouble. Good trouble for both of you. Cody, your journey from that scary and life-changing incident back in February, 1999 has brought you to a different place. And your identity is full of positivity, and you are inspiring the world. You're an awesome advocate for people with disabilities, and you are so much loving and living your life. And that's such an inspiration for the world. Truly it is. And I wish you the best of luck. We're going to keep in touch. Let me know on your website. as one of my guests said, his name is Rowdy James. He's a Maori from New Zealand, and it's Kiora. And that means best wishes, stay healthy, <laughs> Thank be you good, very much. enjoy Kia life. Awesome. Kiora. Yeah. Cody Unser, thank you so much, so much for your inspiration. Thank you, Catherine, and all of you listening out there for sure. And Um, definitely find your positive imprint at the end of the day. I mean, you can make a difference. Absolutely. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? 
I'm sensing she w- wishes she could hug you right now, so I'll yeah. hug you. I'll hug her for you. <laughs> Kiora, that's beautiful. Yeah, it is. Thank you for listening. Part one with Cody is episode 94, Hot Tears Forever Hope with Cody Unser. To learn more about studies of the spinal cord, listen to episode 64, Myelin Sheath Spinal Cord Researcher Bob Gould. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Listen to all my episodes from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or of course from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform, Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI?